there's just so much opportunity for like wild creativity in a place where you know what the borders are like the more that you understand how far you can push things the more you can you can push things into cool and interesting and emotional and moving ways and i think that people who don't think about consent are missing out on those opportunities to like have these amazing incredible experiences that you can have because of trust and consent and like they don't people who don't people who poo poo consent do not understand what they're missing out on welcome to replay the show that invites you to join us at the game table i'm your host clara mount On Replay, we're building a more inclusive community by creating a space for underrepresented gamers and their allies to share their voice. We'll tell stories about our experiences and provide new perspectives that challenge our community to think differently about who we are and what we do. Subscribe and connect with us on your favorite social media platform. So today on Replay, we're talking to Shauna Germain. She is an award-winning author, editor, and game designer, as well as the co-founder of Monty Cook Games, which is personally one of my favorite RPG companies. Um, so over the years, she's published hundreds of poems, essays, short stories, novellas, novels. I mean, anything you can think of, she's probably done it. And uh, she's taught classes and writing, all kinds of good stuff. Um, I stole most of that intro from her website, but I do have to say there is something that is missing from that introduction that I need to add to it. Um, that is that I am a big fan of Shauna Germain. Shauna Germain wrote a book called The Poison Eater back in like, I don't know, 2016, 17, something like that. Um, I actually have it sitting, my original copy right here oh, from nice. the Kickstarter. Um, <laughs> This is one of my favorite books of all time that is set in a tabletop RPG. Like, hands down, it is what I hand to people still when I want to introduce them to the setting. And so I just have to take a second and, like, pitch that to people. Like, fucking read this fucking book. It is very good. (laughs) There's cat bite marks on this copy from the cat, like, eating it over the years. So, um, so, you know, uh, that is how... Shauna came on my radar years ago, and I've kind of just been stalking her on the internet ever since. So I'm so excited that everyone now gets to see my first conversation <laughs> with one of my idols. It's going to be great. So oh Shauna, welcome to Replay. Thank you. That was like the best intro. I'm totally blushing. My face is all hot. <laughs> Good. I was like, she's either going to blush or she's going to just be like, Clara, get the fuck off the line and go away. <laughs> Anyway, well, so so my show is about gaming and just why we love games and talking and getting into games. So later, we're going to talk about consent in gaming, which is something that I feel like people do not talk enough about. Um, and we're going to get into that here shortly. But in the meantime, let's just talk about games. So, uh, so Shana, yes, what, what is the number one reason people should care about games? Uh, you know, it's number one things are so hard for me because I'm like, and this, and this, and this. <laughs> That's fine. Give me like three number ones. So, okay with that. <laughs> um, but you know, I think, I think probably like th- there's just such a great opportunity to find your own way. And like, what I mean, like I was a super shy, super confused kid who didn't understand like social rules at all. I didn't mm-hmm. feel good in my skin. I didn't know who I was. I had like. I didn't understand how to talk to people or move through the world or anything. And so my grandmother actually was a huge gamer of like board games and card games. And and I realized that that was a place I felt really comfortable because there were rules on how you could interact with other human beings. And so I think a lot of my early social skills came from those kinds of games. But then when I discovered RPGs, I was like, oh, here's a way to like be in the world that has rules, but not really. And I can explore all these aspects of myself in hopefully a safe space mm-hmm. and and learn who I am and learn how I, I actually interact with people by trying on all these personalities and and hearing what other people are trying on and being supportive and and rah-rah of that. And it just yeah. feels like a place to to become ourselves, weirdly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely have used RPGs um, since I first got into them to explore different like facets of myself yeah. or like like there was a period of my time of my life where I was really struggling with my sexuality, as so many of us have. And I literally made RPG characters to help me sort of explore that. And what does it feel like to just 
say no to sex. Like, what if I'm completely oh, yeah. ace? I had that was my first RPG character because at the time I was like, I don't even want to think about that. Let me do this sort of escapism that also lets me explore this part of myself. So like that so resonates with me. That's I love amazing. That. <laughs> I mean, I love that. Yeah, I love hearing stories like that. It's just such a it's such an opportunity to and like sometimes you're like, okay, this part doesn't work, but that's okay. I'll just keep playing this character oh, and see yeah. what happens. Like it's such an opportunity to learn so much. Yeah. And of course, because we're always growing as humans, like we change every, you know, all the time. And so we can just keep trying things and yeah. seeing where we land and what feels good. And Yeah. And I think that it's, it's important to know that like, especially when you're talking about like identity and stuff that changes all the time. Nobody's identity is really stable. And so this is one of those things that it's like, it's such a good way to explore those parts of yourself that like, maybe you can't put that out in the world just yet. And that's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So how did you first get into gaming? You said your mom was a gamer? <laughs> well, my grandmother was, a, oh, was grandmother. a gamer, but not a role-playing gamer. She was like a board gamer. But when I was very young, I think, I think I was about six. Uh, Bunnies and Burrows was brought over to my house by my babysitter. And I was very young. I was way too young to be playing a game, but I did, but because I didn't understand the rules at all, but I understood that I could run around and be a bunny. And I was like hooked. I was like, this is my life. I'm going to, I'm going to be a bunny forever. This is amazing. And I'm sure, I think my babysitter was very sad because she did not, she expected us to like sort of sit and be still and quiet. I was just yeah. like thumping around the house, like doing my bunny kicks. Um, so that was my first game. And then I played on the guys' soccer team in high school because we didn't have a girls team. I'm that old. Mm -hmm. And um, we all played D&D like in the woods after <laughs> after soccer practice when what? I was in high school. Yeah, it was Oh my amazing. God, I got gypped when I played soccer. Fuck that. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> The, the interesting part about that for me is, so we got to run around in the woods and we had sticks and everything, but the GM sat at a picnic table and like did the stuff. And so I didn't think I wanted to ever be a GM because GM meant you had to sit at the table and you didn't get to yeah. run around with sticks. <laughs> oh my God. Are you like the forever GM now? Like, do you ever get to play? I, I do a little, I, you know, I, because I play a lot of games with Monty Cook, who is the consummate GMer, I play a lot more, but I do. I still do love to GM. Oh, that's awesome! That's <laughs> awesome. So, what uh, what would you say now are like your favorite kinds of games? Like, are you firmly in like tabletop RPG? Are there certain mm. ones? Um, I I'm such a huge gamer. I love all kinds of games. Um, and I think like I play a lot of non RPG games because I'm also an introvert, and like all those games that allow me to be by myself and play a game are sort of very similar to me to like reading a great book where you just get engaged. So I have a lot of favorites on that side. And then with RPGs, like I'm, I feel like I, I really love games that have a lot of story to them, a lot of role-playing options. I'm less interested in, in sort of the math and rolling the dice and, mm -hmm. and looking at my character sheet all the time and figuring out what I can and can't do. I want to, I want to be creative and weird and, and just kind of go a little bit wild. And so those, my favorite games to play are the ones that like give me a ton of freedom and creativity and surprise me, like move me deeply in some yeah. cool way. Yeah. yeah. I totally get that. I'm, I am an extrovert, but I'm like a chronic solo player because if I can't like if I can't do like a tabletop game where I really get to be social without those like limitations, I guess um, I, I like to just be by myself and experience a really meaningful story. So yeah. like, it's a thing. It um, is. So this is my sort of favorite question about my intro segment. Always. It's about a significant gaming experience to you. So could you tell me a story about some experience related to gaming that was super important to you and like why why did that matter yeah oh gosh again i have so many but the one that i think of instantly is uh so one of the games that i helped create was called no thank you evil and it's for kids and so <laughs> <laughs> um and i sort of it was a game that i really wanted you know i was thinking a lot about myself as a kid and learning to play bunnies burrows and all that kind of stuff and so it was a game that i really wanted kids all kids to be able to play without like having 
very many hurdles. And so we did a lot of things like yeah. looked at fonts for dyslexia and looked at, you know, if, if a kid oh. is on the autism spectrum, what's good for them. And so I had a play test, one of my early play tests for the game. And we specifically were talking to parents who, whose kids were on the autism spectrum because we wanted to see like, does this work? Not just if you have one child at the table who's on the autism spectrum, but if you have a table full of kids, yeah. you know, five-year-olds. Um, and so it was um, it, it was amazing experience because I had each of them bring in like a stuffed animal or, or a figurine to play to be their um, companion so that they could Aww. they had something from home and they had something. Um, and one of the kids, like everything that he cared about was Yoshi, like like Yoshi <laughs> was his stuffed animal. Yoshi was his name. Yoshi was his companion's name. He only wanted to do abilities that like he'd seen Yoshi do. And so there was this amazing moment where like the girl next to him was like uh, I think it's just like a year older and was helping him figure out how to do his Yoshi character and like he, so there's this whole table of kids and they're like they're helping each other make the characters that they want I'm gonna cry <laughs> like it's just so amazing oh my god and so the, the this, you know and, it, and the the kid's parent was sort of like you know he I don't know how well this is gonna go I'm gonna stay here because he's only about Yoshi and, and we you know we might have to pull him out and like he stayed and he had an amazing time and like the oh. whole I mean it was wild don't get me wrong they were like chasing was, down dinosaurs and it was just and it was crazy you know wonderful wonderful way but um but yeah it was just this really it was this moment where I felt like I was giving something back to the game, games that had given me so much and you know there was a lot of things that we had to fix but that first play test was like oh wow we're, you know we're on to something this is going to work and that was really cool yeah. i'm like thinking like i have several friends that are on the autism spectrum as well that have said that similarly about games and like how they wish that role playing had been around when they were kids like in their lives i mean obviously it's been around but like accessible to yeah. them as kids and yeah. i know like um i was really surprised at gen con this year i saw a ton of people with games that are aimed at kids yeah. specifically and i was so excited because i was like you just don't see that very often like it comes from that war gaming history and it's all about the numbers and the battles and the and i'm like yeah it's so exciting i feel like a lot of people who grew up playing games are now parents and so they're like hey you know we want how this do you thing. share the hobby with your kids like yeah. you want to share it with them and raise them in it i know um one of my actually the person who introduced me to tabletop gaming had been playing DD since she was a kid and it was because her parents played D, &D and oh. of course as soon as she was old enough to like join the library D, &D <laughs> group and stuff she was in it and was like super good friends with like everyone there and like that was such a formative experience for her that i'm like i'm so excited she had that i did not so i can't relate <laughs> to that but like i'm so excited that some people do get to grow up with that yeah. and and that was even like D, &D which is not not super accessible for children no. so especially in like the 90s i'm like how how did they do that with you but know. you know what it's okay you were just making the rules up anyway back then so oh, like. oh yeah exactly it was great it was wonderful all right well shauna thank you so much uh for just talking about games here for a few minutes we're gonna cut to a quick commercial break and then when we come back we're gonna get into that big topic about consent and gaming that i'm super excited to dig into Hey friends, have you always wanted to be a corporate sellout? Have I got the opportunity for you? Now you can buy my shirt, wear it to Friday Night Magic or your local Smash tournament, and dunk on everyone you know about how your podcasts are better than theirs. If you want to support my show, head over to bubblegumbitchcraft.etsy.com and load up that cart. Again, that's bubblegumbitchcraft.etsy.com so you can cover your shit in replay stickers and whatever else I come up with. <laughs> and hey, thanks for playing. Hey, content creators. You want your content to reach as many people as it possibly can. But by producing content in only one language, you limit your reach. Introducing Victor Voice, the tool that helps you reach a larger audience by creating audio in multiple languages. With Victor Voice, you can upload your existing audio, then transcribe, translate, and download audio in a different language. It's easy to use, fast, and accurate. Go to victorvoice.co to sign up for your free trial today. Welcome back to Replay. We're here with Shauna Germain, who's a game designer and also co-author of a Cypher System supplement called Consent in Gaming, which is the main reason that I invited her on the show today. Um, not like you might have thought because of the Poison Eater book. But 
<laughs> so, so this supplement is like, it's something I've never seen somewhere before um, from any other source. And it is specifically taking the concepts that come with like BDSM and kink and, and that sort of consent structure, but applying it to tabletop gaming. And I'm like, when I saw it the first time, it literally just blew my mind because I was like, I think all of my personal experiences had sort of pushed me towards this idea of, of like needing to have those negotiations and set expectations and all of those things to be able to have a positive experience at the table. Table, but I never thought of it in terms of like BDSM. I was like, <laughs> God damn, these people are geniuses. So that is why I've called you here today. No, um, so, so, but like, I'm really genuinely curious, like, how did you come up with that, like, approach? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I I wrote erotica for a really long time and I have a book out called As Kinky As You Want to Be that's all about, you know, sort of how to sort of explore your sexuality, specifically with a lean toward BDSM type stuff. Um, and so consent's just always been a part of my life in all aspects. Mm -hmm. I mean, sort of, I think just it, it came kind of with with me as a person, but also my parents were that was really important to my parents that we were we are empathetic, which I think is the foundation for consent in many ways, mm -hmm. um, and that we are communicative, which I think is the other sort of part, the other pillar of consent. And so that's always been part of my life. And then when Sean Reynolds, who was working on his horror supplement, um, Stay Alive, he he was talking about doing a consent a form for that because it was such an important part. It's such an important part of horror. <sighs> Um, and so we had this whole great chapter about about that, and I was like, you know, we could we could really pull this out and make this a separate thing that we could that we could offer to people that was system agnostic and that was mm -hmm. really focused on all kinds of consent as opposed to just horror. And so we kind of just started talking about that, and then of course we we're like, and eh, we could make it free because that would be even yeah, more awesome. Which I'm <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and so it, it really, like so many of the things that we do at Monty Cook Games, is very collaborative and like, here's an idea I have. Well, what if we turn this into this? And oh, here's a here's a thing that seems to be missing in the gaming industry that we we have the skills and knowledge to fill, um, which is often a, how a lot of our products happen. So this would definitely <laughs> happen that way. Um, and then Sean and I kind of started working on it together and we pulled some of the stuff from and then we made this consent document that's like a that you fill out. Uh, before mm -hmm. your game. And so then, um, I don't know, it just kind of came together in that very natural way that awesome things often do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. So it just kind of like grew out of your experiences that you already had and sort of the way you approached gaming and then just sort of, yeah. yeah. And I had done, I had, I had done written, I used to write articles as well. And so I'd written some articles previously about um, sort of the, the correlation and, and between kink and uh, like, um, computer games and specifically about things like I used to play a lot of EverQuest 2 and like and so like in MMOs there was a lot of that exploration that we talked about earlier where people were like I'm gonna explore my you know my sexuality yeah. I'm gonna explore my person I'm gonna explore my gender um, and so I had written some articles about that and then I after that I'd been interviewed for a couple articles and so it was something that like I had I had kind of been thinking about a lot and and I had done some panels and so it's one of those things that kind of just escalated into like why don't we have a thing that you can take home and read right. and learn about this? Why yeah. does it not exist? Or a PDF you can send to all of your friends. <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah. what we do. <laughs> I finally, yeah. um, the, the checklist I want to talk about a little more like in depth in a minute, but like I had seen it obviously online, like circulating like it's so funny to me because when you talk to certain pockets of gamers there's people who just oh yeah everyone uses the checklist why would why would nobody not use the checklist like that kind of thing right so, and I had never encountered that before with the people that I gamed with like it just we had those healthy like session zero conversations right. is what I would call them and we would talk about like what story beats do you want to hit what character choices are you planning to make like are there any themes you're trying to explore like i had groups that did that but not in like any kind of formalized way um so when i started finding these people who just like thought it was so strange and bizarre that i'd never used the, the gaming checklist like or the <laughs> what did they call it? the ttrpg checklist like like it was like, duh. And I was just like, oh, okay. Well, I didn't know I was gaming with the wrong people. All these years, apparently. Um, but I think that's so cool. And I finally got to experience a game that used it. Um, oh, I'm, in, I'm in a Lancer uh, RPG right now, the Lancer tabletop. And um, 
it's on YouTube. People can watch it. We're pretty cool anyway. But like <laughs> our GM sent us out that consent checklist before the game. And I had never played with him for one thing. Like I'd, I'd seen him around a lot, but like had never played with him. And I'd never played with two of the players. And then the third player I did actually know. But it was like majority of these people I've never met before in my life. It was a game changer completely I didn't mean to make a pun on that but like it was just it was so wildly different to have that like groundwork in front of us of like okay we're doing like political plots and stuff how do we feel about talking about things like racism do we need to avoid that like those are the kind of conversations that that checklist prompted for us that I'm not sure we would have had without it and like so it's just to me it's an incredible tool um and I'm and I'm I'm so glad it came out of your brain like (laughs) so glad so so I want to ask, I guess, like, from your perspective, what are some of the benefits of um, thinking about consent in your tabletop games? You know, it's so interesting because I feel like <laughs> it's so hard to talk about this topic because without thinking about all the people who are sort of over here yelling at you for it. So that's <laughs> so that so that will probably show up at some point. But I'm trying to sort of keep them big because they're really not that interesting, and they say the same things. Um, so I think I think that there's so much to be said for like various forms of consent and like there's so many reasons like so much of our life happens without consent right whether it's you open up the internet and you are bombarded with a whole bunch of shit from a whole bunch of horrible people like you Mm -hmm. didn't consent to that right like and yet there it is in our lives or you know i always think about like you go to the airport and they're playing like fox news and you're like I paid all this money and now I have to listen to this drivel. Like why? I didn't get, I didn't get set to that either. Right. Like, so <laughs> I feel like so, like there's so many ways in which our lives don't have consent and they range from those sort of mundane things that I just mentioned to, you know, obviously very serious, life-changing, horrible things, depending mm-hmm. on uh, our lives. Right. And so to create a space where you can have consent is so powerful and so meaningful and I feel like, particularly in the pandemic, but this is always true, like one of the things that people say about their lives is they're lonely. They don't feel like they're connecting to anyone right there. And yet, in, mm-hmm. and if you get at a table where you have consent tools in place, even if they're really not very specific, like just chatting during session zero, which is huge, right? That's a huge thing. Now you've created this connection to these other people and this trust and you're opening yourself up and they are mm-hmm. and like it's so so important in our lives and we miss it we're missing it so much in so many ways that that's like one of the ways in which I think that consent is really important. I also am a huge believer in empathy. I think that empathy gets us so far as human beings and it like can fix so many problems. Like I can't fix all of the problems in the world, but if I have empathy. I can I can be the person that I want to be and I can be kinder and I can make decisions that don't affect people negatively and there's just so much more that you can do if you're just taking a moment to think about how what you're doing impacts other people, you know, the whole social footprint thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so like and also like there's just so much op- opportunity for like wild creativity in a place where you know what the borders are. Like the True. more that you understand how far you can push things the more you can you can push things into cool and interesting and emotional and moving ways. And I think that people who don't think about consent are missing out on those opportunities to like have these amazing, incredible experiences that you can have because of trust and consent. And like they don't people who don't people who poo poo consent do not understand what they're missing out on. <laughs> right. Well, I'm sitting here thinking about like your point earlier about it you know games being for self-exploration like if you're doing something that potentially puts you in a vulnerable spot like exploring something about yourself and like if you can't communicate that with the people yeah. at your table and something happens like that could traumatize you like oh for sure like um for like sure. i'm thinking um or even like god i have a, a friend who told me this like horrific story about a game that she was in that one of her good friends was running and she had in private like divulged a personal trauma and this gm thought that she was doing a good thing by basically working it into the game to make her confront it in character and it was absolutely the wrong thing to do i mean a hundred percent wrong i mean like completely backfired i'm pretty sure my friend left the game after that like it was just a whole whole mess and it's like if they had had that conversation up front about like what is actually okay 
they could have avoided that whole blow up, whole blow up. For sure. And I think that that, you know, when something like that happens, the player then is going to be a little bit like hesitant to do that again. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, because it's (laughs) like, right, right. So, so, I mean, I think it's great to like normalize those conversations, set those boundaries, figure out to your point where you can push people to that it feels good and safe and fun. Most importantly, it's a game. Right. It should be fun. Right. And <laughs> like, on, you know, and if you know where those like boundary lines are, yeah, you can have a great time. And I think avoid some of those sort of like catastrophes that happen other ways. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the more diverse gaming becomes, the more those catastrophes can happen on accident because we're getting more people with all kinds of life experiences and they come from all different cultures yeah. and all like, and so, you know, you can make accidental mistakes that have a huge negative impact on someone else just because you're different. And like mm-hmm. the diversity is great. So let's embrace that. Let's let's talk yeah. to people about their experiences and learn from each other and make sure that we're not inadvertently stepping on someone else's toes just because we don't know. And like, yeah. I mean, it's it's cool. Like it makes sense if you've only got a table full of white guys who are the same age and grew up in the same area and have the mm-hmm. same life experiences because you're less likely to step on trauma. True. But like, but anywhere else, when when you're getting a bunch of people that you don't know, whose lives you don't know, whose experiences you don't know, like it's just so easy to accidentally hurt someone really badly. And like, why would you want to do that? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Like, it doesn't yeah. make any sense to me, right? When you can fix that with like, it's like it's kind of like like you know those books or those movies where like the pe- the whole the whole source of drama is built on the fact that two people won't have a conversation with each oh other my God, and like just crazy. talk just oh have a conversation God. i also like so like i'm polyamorous and like similar to that is like the love triangle bullshit oh, yeah. i'm like you guys could all just date and it would solve everything just, just be poly mad everyone it's <laughs> fine it's fine guys no but like that communication right like that would solve so many like there are so many shows games movies whatever that would not exist if people would just fucking talk to each other right Right. So the communication part is super important. But we're all bad at communication in our own ways. So we can always just try to be better. And you know what? That checklist is a really good starting point for that conversation. I'm just saying. Yeah. You know, I think think that's so true because like some people can have that conversation. They can walk in and be like, here are my boundaries. Here's what I need. What do you need? Tell me your boundaries. But Mm -hmm. for lots of people to even have that conversation or to ask that question or to say, hey, like this is this is the limit I won't cross. That's hard hard and they like you might not even think about it or you certainly can't just sort of talk about it in front of a group of people you don't know and so like if you can great do it that way but if you can't use there's so many great tools out there now and like they take the they take this sort of pressure off in a lot of ways like you know to just be able to make a little checklist you're like oh i got this right this is no big deal yeah yeah and so like one of the things um that I really liked about the checklist specifically in consenting gaming is that it uses the red, yellow, green um, Mm -hmm. system. So for folks that aren't familiar with that from kink and BDSM, red would be like a hard no, like definitely don't ever go there. Green would be like full on yes, always let's go. Yellow is anywhere in between. And yellow is where you really need to have those conversations because that's where, you know, the the gray areas are. And so that's one of the things that I loved because like, I think the first section, I can actually look at it. Yeah, the first section was horror. I love horror and I had not thought about how I would react to any of those things being in a tabletop RPG until I looked at this <laughs> Because I was like, oh, like the first one's bugs. That's a really common phobia. I'm not afraid of bugs. So I don't even think about that. But someone else could be potentially very triggered by like a swarm of bugs in the game or something like <laughs> right. that. And like you want to like you want to be sensitive to other folks. And like it just it gives that it gives a starting point for that conversation. And like, if everyone in your campaign says like, everything's green, then like, okay, I guess you're good to go. But like, chances are that's not gonna happen. Someone's gonna have some hesitation somewhere. And it's just a really good way to sort of like pull that out. Yeah, you know, one of the things I really love about this sort of yellow part too, is that if you're a GM who's like, I don't wanna have those hard conversations and I don't wanna touch things that might make people uncomfortable, you just stay away from yellow and yeah. red, right? So you have the choice. Uh, but if you're like, you know what, I'm a GM that likes to kinda like 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 have these deep intricate moments. Yeah. So I'm gonna talk about this with my player and see how they feel if I do it this way. Like it gives you lots of options and and you can choose depending on like what you think your skill set is and what your group's interest is. And that, that gives the GM a kind of consent too. Yeah. And I think that that's really an important part of it. Yeah, I think 
I think a lot of people, I don't know. I think in this conversation, we've mostly leaned toward like the player experience, Mm -hmm. but the GM also has a really like valid and difficult role (laughs) in all of this too. And like, if you think about, um, I mean, like the same as if you had like a, like a dom sub sort of scene going on like the dom is theoretically like in control but it's because they're supposed to be (laughs) in a healthy situation they're following (laughs) the boundaries that have been established with the sub in that scene and so like gms also need to know how far can i push you how far is okay um and like i'm thinking of um i I almost want to say like aftercare for gms is what i'm thinking of Mm -hmm. because it's like uh, like if you've done a really intense thing, like you're, you ran a really intense scene for someone. Like I just did a, not a torture scene, but a scene where like somebody's life was on the line. I was basically negotiating with them for their life in character. And my wow. GM was playing this person that I was literally threatening to kill or threatening to let my friend kill, uh, technically, but like, that's hard. Like, yeah. <laughs> I had a conversation with him after the show or after the the game, just being like, Hey, like, we're good, right? Like you cool? Because yeah. like that's that's difficult to run as a GM. Yeah. And I think too, like GMs have their own boundaries. Like maybe a GM's not comfortable if you're flirting with the NPC that they're voicing, right? Mm-hmm. Like so they should get to be able to have a voice too in like, hey, here are my boundaries. Like, because they're I mean, they're just as much of a part of the table. And you're right, there's there is a slight power dynamic, but it's only because the players give them permission. Like it should only be because the players <laughs> yeah. give them permission <laughs> to have that power dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be taken care of and that they shouldn't get to have boundaries and all that exactly. kind of stuff too. Oh yeah, I've had GMs express that like if a character romance in particular seems to be a, a common one where like GMs are like, you know, I'm okay with you having a certain level of romance, but if it happens, <laughs> I want it to be fade to black. I don't want to yeah. role play it. I don't want to, you know, like they'll do those kinds of things. And I think I can't remember. Yeah, that was on the the check checklist as well. There's a relationship section. I'm gonna share this link so anyone else can follow <laughs> along with me while I do this. It's free anyway. Um, but it, but it's got that sort of like like sex versus romance and how does that how what comfort level do we have playing that out because as players and as people responding to those players or running the game for those players like you gotta you gotta have that conversation um i'm glad that you like understood what i meant by aftercare for gms by the way oh yeah for sure for sure yeah i think i think i mean why not have aftercare for every session for every group because like Mm -hmm. it's just i mean it's like I mean, you're just checking in like it's like so simple and so easy and and so caring to just be like hey like are you okay was that okay how did it go like what was it like do you want to talk about anything did anything i mean it's just so easy to just ask and and like i think we're i think we're so afraid to ask too because like like asking consent is one thing because people don't want to be told no and that's a whole right like that's a whole thing we'll just put over there (laughs) but like but like people i think sometimes don't want to pry and so they they maybe don't ask but like asking gives the other person the power to say you know i'm fine and i don't really have anything to talk about or they can say yeah i do want to talk about it or i want to talk about it but not right now or whatever like you're you're not taking away their power by asking you're inviting them to step forward if they want to Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I would say that's an empowering act. Like you are definitely giving the power back to the person that you're, you're saying, Hey, please communicate your feelings right now with me or later with me or whatever. Here's this channel. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really great point. I also feel like the dynamics like between the players also really benefit from that consent piece because like, I mean, I, I probably everyone can recall experiences where they had conflict with other players, like out of character because of a game that was happening. <laughs> yeah. And like, I know um, one of my examples, I was playing in a Star Wars RPG and I was playing a droid. It would technically means that I was like owned by a person because you buy oh, droids. Right. Sure. Yeah. So like that to me, like the way I was playing the character and what I expressed to my GM was that I want to play them like they are essentially sentient. Like they're in that weird gray area where they didn't have enough memory wipes. And so their code has created a personality. And like, that's the spot that I want to play this character, learning about themselves as some kind of like being. And that was so much fun for me. But not all of the characters at the table were on that same page with me because we didn't all have that conversation. And one of the other characters was like, well, I'm a bounty hunter and I have a droid that can help me do my job. And I was like, no, you don't. 
<laughs> so behind his back, every time one of like every time he would say something that was a little too like, oh, this is a possession. I, uh, the other players would kind of look at me and they'd be like, are, are you OK? Like, is that OK? And I would in character respond back like, it's OK. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And like <laughs> shit like that, like I would just put him down in character until he eventually was like, oh, maybe I can't treat the droid that way. And like, but we could have just had a conversation about it. Right. I was just being petty. So... <laughs> But it also could have been a really funny thing where, like, he thought he owned you, and you were, like, and in character, you were like, um, "No, no, you definitely don't." Like, right? So, like, I got his spaceship destroyed. Oh, nice! That's I got his spaceship destroyed, and I was the reason that a whole bunch of corporate bounty hunters were chasing after me because I killed someone important or something. I don't know. It was it was a lot, and I dragged him through a lot of shit. And in my head, I was like, "It's fine because he's my partner. He owns my character <laughs> technically, and he can't leave me behind or he loses his investment." Um, and I just made him pay for that. You know, frankly, you can make him pay in story. Um, no, he's a good dude. He is a good dude. It was just that mismatch of expectations, right? Like, yeah. and and it did cause conflict because like I got frustrated. I'm sure he got frustrated if we had had that conversation ahead of time about how the characters and players wanted to be with each other, that would have been a very different story. Yeah, for sure. It's it, like, it, and it's not that hard to like have a conversation in the middle of that space too, and just sort of like retcon things, right? Where you're like, you know, yeah. we got off on the wrong foot or like that. I, like, cause a lot of times, especially when I'm first starting to play a character, like my character will say or do something that that in the end doesn't feel right because I'm just sort of trying them out right and so yeah. I'm often like you know I want to change that I want to retcon that and like the, you know the, that's not something my character would have said now that I know them better and like you yeah. can do that with anything right you can do that with with any mismatch mismatch of communication and and restart and change the plan and and like it's not a big deal right it just it doesn't affect yeah. anything in a negative way I feel like there's always several games of just getting my footing with the character. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, there's so many things like even in the campaign that I'm doing, that's a recorded campaign. I'm like, there's things I did in first game that like <laughs> I kind of just had to embrace as a thing that I did. Yeah. Like, you know, because I can't go back and change it. But at the same time, like the stakes are so low. Nobody cares. It's a game. So, you know, yeah. well, not nobody cares, but you, you know. What I mean. <laughs> and uh, I so like. I'm trying, I'm struggling with how to put this into words, but that like relationship dynamic with all the players, like it's like playing in a tabletop game is like managing a relationship with like five people at once <laughs> and you all like, yeah. like at the table, like it's like a little microcosm of like what a polyamorous family might look like. I don't know, but it's just, <laughs> but those are all important relationships yeah, because yeah. you're playing this game, you know, every week, every month, whatever it is, you're playing this game by side by side with them for hours. Like you want that to be a good relationship. Right. And I think that it's like, I mean, I think consent is the founding basis for that. But once you get past that, you're like, what is this play? Like, why does like, why does this player play? Like, what can I do to help enhance yeah. their experience? Right? Like I have one of my favorite players to play with is all about creating character connections. Like that's her joy in playing. And like, it's so fun. And and so like, I do my best to make sure that I'm I'm picking up those things that she's laying down about character connection and, and that stuff, because I know that's what brings her joy. And it brings me joy to like play in that space, right. And so it's just sort of taking like, and you can ask this, right, or you can just sort of suss it out if that's something that you're good at, which is like, why is this? What brings this person to the table? What do they like about playing? And then and then seeing if you can find interesting ways to kind of bring that out, I think yeah. is really fun. One of my favorite things that GMs will do is like identify those things for their players, either through a conversation yeah. or whatever, and then like throw things at the table yes. that like appeals to those specific <laughs> desires. So like I um like my GM right now knows that I am also a character connection kind of person. I'm like, oh, let's go on an adventure together and like do some <laughs> dumb shit. And oh, what if we had a weird backstory thing that happened? Like, I don't know. Like nice. I do dumb stuff like that. So I'm constantly just talking to people and talking to other players and trying to drag them into scenes. And when a when a GM gives me a chance to do that like I thrive I am so excited yeah. and I am so happy about it and then on the flip side of that I have players in my game that are really environment focused mm -hmm. so they're way more excited about exploring like what's on this map what does that do <laughs> what happens if I go over there what is this or like like you know political structures like and stuff that's going on like I've got tons of friends that like are really into that GMs can 
feed into that too. Yeah. And so it's not just on the other players, like everyone collaboratively together can do these things and like throw down like, oh, hey, here's this weird environment hook. If you want to go check that out together, maybe or like <laughs> right. you know, something like that, like, you know, yeah. So like, yeah. I love that. It's like, I hear um people in LARP say this a lot. It's about uh, lifting up other characters or lifting oh, up other yeah. players. Yeah. And so when you're doing that sort of like improv in the moment, like it should never be um, like a no or a maybe or like a whatever it's it's a yes and let's go do this and that's yeah. that's just so powerful it really um, is and I think too that, that like the opposite of aftercare in that space is having a conversation beforehand that's like hey you know because I'm because I'm an introvert if I've had a day where I've had a lot of meetings and interviews and then we play a game I'm off I will often say at the beginning of a game like I have had a super heavy people heavy day so if I'm quiet I'm just feeling my social battery is really low and and I and then we can have that conversation where like don't put me in the spotlight please because I need this time I need to sort of be the person the character that hangs back a little bit today and you know who who's not making the decisions or leading the party and I have a much better time because I'm not feeling like I'm trying to do something that I don't have the energy to do. And so like people, people can talk about that ahead of time too, and say, here's what I need tonight, or here's what I need for this game and, and work within that structure of their character to make that happen. Right? Yeah, I love that idea. I know so many folks who will just skip out on a game entirely if their social yes. battery is low. Yeah. And and I totally understand that. And that's completely valid. But I'm like, what if, you know, now I'm thinking, what are the possibilities? How many games might people still be able to be at and sort of like wallflower a little bit and still have yeah. fun without yeah. having to like drain their battery more or something? Now I'm like, these are things <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about. I'm going to have to talk to, to my next games about that. Yeah, I mean, that opportunity to not have to be in the spotlight is a reason that I, I do. I stopped stopped going stopped stopped going to games <laughs> I stopped <laughs> yeah. I stopped you know because like if you are burnt out the thought of going to a game is like it can be overwhelming right and so the fact that I knew I could show up and just be like hey I'm just kind of I'm just kind of here tonight was enough to get me there and often you sort of I often get my battery built up in the middle of the game or I get excited about something and <laughs> yeah you know? and it like draws you in and you're like yeah. oh, so much for a battery now <laughs> No, it is worth noting that even introverts do get some social energy. That is, it is, it is a myth that introverts only recharge in their private alone time. And I will die on that hill. Um, no, it's like, a, it's like a scale, right? Like you never yeah. know what's really going to pump you up. Like th things will surprise you. And that just, that totally happens. I, I feel like that also connects back to what you were saying about like, when you have those consent foundations you know that's a safe place where you can go and do that right so yeah. like on the flip side if you didn't have those conversations ahead of time you're probably going to be more likely to just skip out right because you you don't want to disappoint someone or you don't want people to right. think that you're you're not into it or whatever but if you can just say that like i, I mean and that's kind of I don't know. That's like introvert training too. Cause I used to just skip all kinds of things because I didn't know that I was an introvert. Like, and I didn't know that I needed to recharge my social battery. And now it's like, I can just be like, yeah, I can at least stay for an hour. Cause I'm, I'm super people wiped. Like people understand that now. And you're just like, yeah. Oh, thank God. Cause I really wanted to see you, but I really only can do an hour. I swear I can only do yeah. it. Right. And it, it's just so nice. <laughs> it's so nice to see those kind of conversations getting normalized. Like as people start yeah. talking more about mental health and like the challenges yeah. that come with that and like unexpected things that happen with that. Like I have ADHD that I got diagnosed with at the age of 30. So like all of these things about my childhood suddenly make so much more sense. But like oh, yeah. there's so many things that I was like, well, why can't I just do this? Or why can't I just do that? And it's it's executive dysfunction. There's a name right. for it. It's right. a thing that I can do something about because I now have a name and like a way to treat it. And like, so it's like, it's like that kind of thing. Like, because I have that knowledge now I can communicate better about it. And I can, I can use that positively in my relationships to like talk to people and right. bringing that back to gaming. Like I just, people get it. Like there's so many times I've had to, to be like, you know, my, anxiety is really, really bad tonight. And I'm borderline panic attack. We're just, I, I can't do it at all. And they're like, oh my God, feel better. Like, right, right. that's it. You know, when you're playing with a good group of people that you can trust, like that's how they're going to respond because it's a safe, it's a healthy environment. So. Yeah. Okay. I think that's so interesting too, because we did, we, we did a, a fairy tale uh, mental health game supplement called we are all mad here. And 
you know, it, part of my reason for doing that was actually weirdly because of my own experiences with depression and some other stuff that I, I wanted to like, I wanted to normalize that as being part of the gaming experience because I do think that most people, <laughs> I think that the very, there's actually a very small percentage of the world <laughs> that is not neurodivergent yes. and, in some way. Yes. And I think that like neurodivergent people tend to be more creative and more interested mm -hmm. in telling stories and all this stuff. So like, what are the odds that your table has at least half, maybe more people who, you know, struggle with something, who live with something, like it's really high. Yeah. And so why not like talk about it? Why not share it? Why not make that part of your game if you want to? Cause like, we're all, we're all struggling with it. Yeah. I think there's, I mean, there's a whole episode down the line that I would love to do about mental health representations in games. Like uh, I'm thinking about like the Lovecraft games that make sanity a whole ass mechanic and like stuff like that. And like, how, yeah. how do those representations like either help or her or harm you know those conversations right. like that is a thing i'm very interested in <laughs> we do not have time to talk about today but now that i know that you also are interested in that i'm like well shauna uh, <laughs> no but um i i mean i think this has been fantastic um i'm like struggling with the next place to take the conversation because uh, so like i'm wondering if you've ever had to feel like like you've had to vet the players or vet the GM, like in the same way that you might have to vet others that might be involved in like a kink scene or something like that. Like, is that sort of like a process that you feel like you have to go through when that you're establishing a, those groups? That is a really interesting question. Um, I think that it's so different when you're playing with people that you know and are friends with, because in many ways, sometimes that's harder because you feel like you know everyone and so you may not have those conversations about various kinds of consent because you're like we're really close friends we know each other they'd certainly tell me if they were feeling uncomfortable but of course mm -hmm. that's not necessarily true right it's just this perception we have because these people are in our lives and we care about them and we think we know them and so that's like one aspect and then the other aspect of course is like you know you're going to a convention and you're going to run a game with a bunch of strangers or yeah. you know like all these kinds of things and so i think that like i think i suspect everyone's idea of what is safe is very different and mm -hmm. i have i feel like i am someone who has a lot of power in the industry because i you know first i'm 50 so what like i don't give two fucks about like anybody's feelings yeah. i'm just gonna go live in the woods and be by myself at this point but but like you, you know, it's, I, I'm not someone who's afraid to step up and be like, you're being a dick, like, you yeah. know, and, and I also feel a very strong pull toward making sure that uh, I can do what I can to make other people safe, like sort of using my power for good, despite the yeah. fact that that's a cliche. So I feel like my vetting stuff is less about me at this point in my experience and more about making sure that everyone else at the table feels safe or has an out or feels like they have at least at the very least, like someone that they can come to to help in a bad situation mm -hmm. and so I, I feel like that's kind of my role I'm like the auntie <laughs> like of yeah. all there's nothing wrong with that we need, you. People. <laughs> we need um, auntie Shana <laughs> <laughs> totally right um so yeah I mean and I kind of love that role because I do have really thick skin I have a ton of experience I I really don't I have no, I have no fear of stepping up to someone and just being like, you know, no, that's not, that's not okay. That's not working. You know, yes, mm -hmm. I will help this person be safe, whatever. Um, so I think everyone's vetting process is really different. And that's changed for me a lot over the years. I used to be much more careful about who I played with because I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't have the skills and the sort of power that I needed to make myself safe all the time. And so I, I do think it changes over the time, right? Yeah. yeah. I like that you said like, the skills to make yourself safe. Like there's a lot of power in being able and being willing to stand up and express yourself. And again, like having a checklist or some kind of tool to help you do that and start that conversation can be so powerful because that does give you the ability to say, hey, we signed a contract, right? Like this right. was on the list. You said you weren't gonna throw bugs in my horror campaign and I'm upset at you now because you threw bugs at me. Like, right. you know, right. I mean, yeah, uh, sorry, I was like talking over you. I got really excited. Go for it, go for it, run away. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> I was, it, well, it just made me think of like one of the hardest parts about having a bad experience, in my opinion, or in my experience, is that then you feel like, I often feel like 
that question of, well, did I, was I clear in my expectations? Mm -hmm. Right. And like, did I say what I think I said? But if you have a checklist, you're like, yeah, I said red on this thing and mm -hmm. it's here and it's in writing. And I know you saw it because you looked at it or you signed it off or whatever. And so mm -hmm. suddenly there's a, there's a power, even in a very bad experience of being like, I communicated clearly and I'm certain that I did. And therefore, like, I, I can stand in this space and say that this is your fault, that you did cross this thing that, you know, mm -hmm. I have a place to stand because it's really easy to get twisted up in that panic and be like, oh, yeah. oh maybe at least for me, like, oh, oh, maybe it was yeah. my fault. Maybe I wasn't clear. Maybe, you know, oh, I and do like, the same thing, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's, it's that, there's, there's that anxious communication of yeah. like, oh, well, maybe I did mess up because you're upset. Right. Like, right. You're upset right. And you want to respond to that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I want to. Yeah, really Take common. I think with like <laughs> empathetic people, I think are very like that because like the yeah. second somebody's upset because you've said, "Hey, you crossed my boundary," it's really easy to kind of backtrack from that. Yes, right. Boundaries are so hard anyway, and and like I mean, you know, I was like, I was almost. I mean, I, I learning how to set boundaries is a fairly new experience for me because I would just be like, "They crossed my boundary," right? And but then you're like, "Oh no, I can just set them very clearly," mm -hmm. and then if they cross them, I can just walk away and know that like that's not my issue. But like, yeah. but but yeah, I mean, it, it's when it's so easy to take that on ourselves and to question ourselves and mm -hmm. to be uncertain if if it's all our fault and, and i don't know i don't know why we do that i think i think empathy is part of it but i also think like there's just this sense of like it takes so much work and effort sometimes to hold space for yourself when you are someone who is outside the norm what which you know whatever In that whatever, whatever that <laughs> i mean i don't know how you want to describe that but like that's i think that's a lot of us right where we've yeah. got some other thing that we have to hold room for right whether that's a chronic illness or our sexuality or our age or whatever that thing is and so that like takes a certain amount of our effort and 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 to put ourselves out there and to put ourselves in those spaces and then when someone comes back at you i feel like you've used up some of that effort already. And so you just mm -hmm. don't have as much to, to sort of sort out what's going on. And so, yeah, yeah, it's all, it's, it's resource management, but the resources. Yeah, it really is. It is. <laughs> it it is. is. Yeah. It, and I think we don't talk very much about how, you know, it might take someone who's, it might take someone who identifies as female uh, as, to more effort to step up to a table full of guys, but someone who's not a white woman, it's going to take even more effort. And someone who's yeah. not a white straight woman, it takes even more effort. And like, I don't think we recognize enough that like the amount, the, the way that those, that piles on us in terms of just doing regular daily things. And then when you get into a place that's unsafe, it's, I think it's so much worse. And it, we sort of sometimes act like everyone's sort of stepping into the same into that same place, carrying the same amount of weight. And it's just not true. Yeah. Yeah. I could not have said that better myself. That is boundaries are definitely hard. It takes a lot of energy to enforce them like, <laughs> and different amounts of energy for different people based on life yeah. situations, things yeah. that you can't control that are completely, you know, social structures outside your power, like that kind of right. stuff. It, it's yeah, it's a lot. I'm, um, yeah. Uh, oh, I had another question that I wanted to ask that was inspired by what you just said. Oh, um, so like you said, it, like as you got older, you felt better able to basically advocate for yourself. Like you weren't as concerned about yourself and more so about other players. So if you're at like a convention, for instance, running a game, so it's all strangers at the table, are there any steps that you take to sort of preface your game to kind of try and make it the best game, the best game ever to take a, a book title from you guys. <laughs> nice, nice anyway. <laughs> Do you have a job? Because we, we could use a marketer. <laughs> I mean, I would love that, but. <laughs> um, yes, yes. And it depends on, like, uh, as all things, right? It depends on the situation. But the basic ones are, I always bring um, placards for pronouns because that's a, that. that's a first marker of someone who should not be at my table if they're going to balk at a pronoun placard. Yeah. Um, so I just bring little pieces of paper to fold over that people can write their name and their pronouns. Um, and, and I often wear a pronoun pin too, just to, just to sort of normalize. You know, I mean, it, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, there's, there's two things that happen, right? One is somebody's going to get upset. And in which case, 
they're going to leave the table or they're going to be upset and they're going to stay. And that either way, I've learned something really important about who I'm playing with and what how to manage that group. Um, mm-hmm. Or they're going to learn something and they're going to be like, oh, and they're going to write their pronouns and they're going to be like, is, that's a thing. I didn't know that was a thing. Right. And they're yeah. going to get curious. And that's cool, too. Yeah. Um, and of course, it also helps me as a GM because lots of players play characters that aren't that don't match their appearing gender and so like that helps me as the gm not screw that up which is really important yeah Um, so that's like one of the first things that i do and then i always talk about like how to talk to me if something makes you uncomfortable and i and i try to like offer tools whether that's an x card or something to just sort of say here's a way in which you can stop the game and take a break and we'll all take a break and you know you can talk to me or you whatever you want to do like i try to give people lots of options because everyone communicates differently and everyone's Mm -hmm. comfort level is different. And I feel like one of the hardest things about sitting at a table when something is going wrong is when you don't have an action that you can take to stop it, right? You're just like, oh, I don't want to make a scene. I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what I don't know what to do. But if you give the table like, here's your out, here's your safe button, here's your safe space, here's whatever it is that lets you take take you know, have a voice or not have a voice, depending on like what your desire is and, and your comfort level. But like that basically says everything stop. I think that's really important to give people a tool. Um, yeah. And 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 it also does the other purpose of being like, hey, you know, this is important. Consent and safety is important at this table. Mm-hmm. And so if that's a thing that you don't like or that you think is not appropriate for you, like it might be true that you shouldn't be at this table, but either way, everybody's thinking about it, right? We're entering mm-hmm. the game and everybody's got it on their brain. Um, I think the checklist is great. I try to do the checklist ahead of time if I know who I'm playing with so that I have a chance to look at everything and I can can go, kind of go through them, but you know, on the fly is fine too. Um, I often will give con- like a few content warnings, like, hey, this adventure that I'm thinking about running might have this or this. Um, you know, is if you're uncomfortable, please let me know. You can write me a note, you can whatever. Um, so there's lots of little ways. And I think it's just as important to give people tools as it is to say, these are the values that are important at this table, right? Here are the things that we're going to focus on and that we're going to do. Um, and I also am not afraid to call people out mid game. Like if, if somebody says gotcha. something and or does something or like makes, like I'll often just check in and be like, okay, like, let's, let's take a break. And, and you can then check in and, and be like, you know, I think did that, how did that fall on you? It, it seemed like it was making you uncomfortable. Do you want to talk about it? Is there anything we can change? Right. But, but I think for the most part, if you, if you set the table up really early with those sort of things in mind, people behave, even if they're not necessarily on the same page as what you're hoping they will be. Interesting. <laughs> That's so interesting. Like, <laughs> Because I, I love playing convention games um, mm-hmm. shamelessly. And like most of the time, <laughs> that's like the only way that I get to play like The Strange. I've only ever mm-hmm. gotten to play The Strange at conventions. And um, I love it. It's one of my favorite like settings because it's so fucking weird. Um, <laughs> it is really weird. Speaking of weird, all I just... all the good ways. <laughs> I backed the weird Kickstarter at oh, like, the, the highest level where you yay! get all the stretch goals because I have a problem. But, um, <laughs> but like, I, I love system agnostic tools. Anyway, um, but so like... Like there's games that I have not been able to experience in any other setting. And so I've had good games. I've had bad games. I've Mm -hmm. had, I got my mom into tabletop RPGs um, (gasps) when she was like 50 ish. I think I got her to play her first game. We played of monsters and other childish things at a convention and it was wonderful. But then she went like the following year to the same convention and tried to play another tabletop game. And I can't remember, I want to say it was like a Cthulhu game or something like that. Cause like, you know, Lovecraft fans and stuff like that. And she's a big reader. So everything that she knows about games, she pretty much learned because she likes to read so much and has the biggest library I've ever seen in somebody's house. So like, she I like just, your mom already. <laughs> I, she is wonderful. I love her so much. Shout out to my mom on the show. Anyway, um, but like I got her into tabletop gaming so late. And so it was like literally her like second or third game ever. And she had some player at the table who just kept talking over her and was like oh. straight up rude. And like the other players at the table were trying to like stand up and come to her defense. But the GM didn't do shit. Oh no! And it was one of those things where it was like I felt so bad because I was like I felt responsible for that experience because yeah. I... Yeah you know, didn't, I wasn't there. I couldn't stand up for my mom. Like I couldn't prepare her for that experience. Like, yeah. how can you, like, you can't. So it was just one of those things where it was like, I wish that I had known, like, 
what advice I could have given her at the time to help her stand up for herself and prepare for that sort of situation. But I also was like, my mother is like 50 years old and doesn't give a fuck about what anyone thinks. Yes. Yay to the 50 so, year olds. You know, like I was like, there's, there's no way, right. That somebody could step on my mom's toes. Like that just doesn't happen to my mother. Like, but, but it did, it did. It happened at this convention in a setting that was just not familiar for her. So, you know, I, I really appreciate hearing about some of those sort of proactive things that GMs can do to set those expectations at the table and like make it a healthier environment. Um, this cat tail in my video. Um, but, uh, it's so hit or miss, right? Like most GMs aren't thinking about that. And that's why I've had fantastic experiences. I played a doctor who RPG. That was one of my favorite games. I played as Clara and my name is Clara. And it was like a whole thing. Um, and I was just like, I was having so much fun because he came right out the gate and he did, um, what you talked about with setting pronoun cards, like first thing, because none of us were playing well, except for me, I think none of us were playing our actual gender at the table. So he was like, okay, we're doing this. And then like, if you need a break, raise your hand or like whatever, like he set those expectations. And that was one of the best one of the best experiences I think I've ever had in a in a convention game with strangers like was wonderful that is awesome yeah yeah it doesn't take very much I think yeah. to make a big difference it seems so simple when you when you <laughs> put it the way that you put it it just seems very very simple <laughs> So, I, I mean, on that note, this we've covered a lot of ground in the past like hour or so. Um, so I kind of want to bring the conversation to a close and just ask you, like, is there anything like last thoughts that you want to share or closing closing sort of message with the audience out there? Yeah, I mean, I think like I'm such a believer in the power of story and and in stories for like teaching us things and helping us find out who we are and helping us find out who other people are and and making the world better and and just so stories are so important and vital to our hearts as human beings and like gaming is one of the most amazing ways that I know of to create stories, you know, with a bunch of other creative cool interesting people and so I just feel like giving everyone who wants it the opportunity to do that kind of thing to create stories with a bunch of other people like we should be we should be doing everything we can to make that happen. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I the the only thing I wanted to just like reiterate that came up a couple of times was like let's normalize conversations about consent and how mm. our actions affect other people. Like if there's nothing else people take away from this conversation, for me that's like my big like please please do I love that. that. <laughs> That's awesome. All yeah. right. Well, well, Shauna, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. This was so much fun. And especially to finally meet you after, you know, obsessively reading your books. Uh, <laughs> it was totally my pleasure. It was such a great conversation. I loved chatting about all the things. Thanks for listening. I'll be back again soon with another episode. You can find episodes of Replay and all other Victor Media Group podcasts at victormediagroup.co. Replay is a VMG original and is created, hosted, and produced by Clara Mount. The show's executive produced by J.B. Adams and Gerard Mitchell with sound design by Anna Hughes and original music by Bison. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, follow Victor Media Group on your favorite social channels and check out Bison's other tunes on Spotify, Bandcamp, and SoundCloud. Extra special thanks to all my listeners for hanging out with us today. Keep on playing and remember, you're always welcome at this game table.